Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Buried Motives. We're glad you're joining us this week. We really are. And we've got some shout outs for some of our amazing listeners. We do. We are full into February now and next week is Valentine's Day. So before I get into my case today, we wanted to give a heartfelt shout out to some of our listeners for interacting with us on Facebook. We want to share some of that love back. We do. So thank you, Iris, Pauline, Michelle and Cheryl. Kaylee, Celia, Missy, Nikki, and Karina. You guys are all awesome. We love reading your comments, and we want you and all our listeners to know how much we love and appreciate each one of you for joining us. So we hope you have a wonderful Valentine's next week. And if you need a Valentine, we got you. Grab a snack and listen to a few of our episodes, and it'll be like we're right there with you. That's how I'll be spending my Valentine's Day. <laughs> yep. Don't they call it Galentine's <laughs> when a bunch of women just spend Valentine's Day together? And I know we have some male listeners, but you can be part of our Galentine's too. Absolutely. <laughs> but Chrissy's got a Valentine's Day case for us, don't you? I do. In the spirit of Valentine's, I thought I would bring you a case that happened on Valentine's Day in 2010. She hasn't told me anything about this case. Nothing. What should have been a fun-filled, exciting rendezvous instead turned out to be a devastating night of cold-blooded murder. We are going on a bit of a twisty ride, but because of good police work, the murder victim in today's case was able to finally get the justice they deserved. And as Melissa said, I purposefully haven't told Melissa anything about this case because it had me guessing the first time I heard it, which was just recently when I started searching for Valentine's cases to cover. So you want me to put in my two cents worth all the way through? Well, I think you do if I want you to or not. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Of course I do. (laughs) I'll be guessing the ending. I don't think you'll have too hard of a time. But there was a few things that surprised me as we were going through the case. So we'll see what you and our listeners think. Okay, we are starting in the place where most Valentine's Day tragedies start. With a loving couple. Husband and wife, Richard and Stacey Sheck, lived a quiet life in Snellville, Georgia. Snellville is east of Atlanta, and the census for 2010, when the murder took place, was just over 18,000 people. Richard was born on June 25, 1963, in New Jersey, making him 46 years old on that Valentine's Day. Richard was a kind and loving guy. He loved the outdoors and was an involved member of his community. He graduated from Auburn University with an art degree. He served as a Cub Master for the Boy Scouts of America. He coached soccer, and he was a member of the Westminster Presbyterian Church. He loved to cook and spend time in the Georgia mountains, especially on his motorcycle. A unique passion that Richard has was a love for hot air balloons. He was even a hot air balloon pilot. What? Yeah, I thought that was kind of neat. I don't think I've ever heard a story about a hot air balloon pilot. No, me either. And so is he the victim or the murderer? Well, I'm not telling you yet. I'm kind of fingers crossed he's the victim because he sounds so nice. (laughs) Kill the nice ones? Is that what you're saying? Maybe not quite. (laughs) I know what you meant. You don't want a really nice guy to turn out to be a dirtbag. That's right. Right. Which often can happen, though. Mm -hmm. Stacy was born in 1974, making her almost 11 years younger than her husband. She was 36 at the time. 
Stacy was career-driven and worked as a head administrator at the Georgia Spine and Neurosurgery Clinic in DeKalb County. She was described as being meticulous in nature, which I'm assuming would have made her good at her job. Yeah, you can see how those two would totally fit together. Mm-hmm. Stacy's cousin later said that Stacy, quote, worked her butt off to make sure that her kids had everything they wanted and needed. When Stacy wasn't working, she helped to take care of her aging grandparents who needed around-the-clock care. Oh, so she seems super nice, too. Now I don't know which one I'm rooting for. Richard worked as a facilities manager at a Gwinnett County medical building, but he was happy to primarily care for the children while his wife worked. So she was like the breadwinner. And he was Mr. Mom. Yeah. We've had a case like that before, Christy. I think that was my last Valentine's Day case, wasn't it? I think Mr. it was, Mr. Mom too. turned murderer? I think it was. Hmm. Are we going to do a repeat? Oh, he is the dirtbag. <laughs> Dang it. Dang it, Grandpa. <laughs> Just hang on. Richard wasn't Stacy's first husband. He wasn't her second either. Ooh. Nor her third. What? And not even her fourth. Was she a gold digger? No, wait. Because she worked. How did she end up with so many husbands? Actually, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Richard was Stacy's fifth husband. When they met, Stacy already had three sons from previous marriages. Okay. Richard loved Stacy's boys so much that he adopted two of them. My guess is that he would have adopted the third one if he could have, but he could only have done so if their biological father relinquished his parenting rights. So I guess that's a good thing that maybe his father was still involved. Okay, so it wasn't like he just picked favorites. Two no. out of three ain't bad kind of thing. No, because you would have to give up those rights as a father in order for another man to legally adopt your child. Right. So from the outside looking in, family and friends described this blended family as a happy one. And did they have any kids of their own? No. Okay, so just her three boys. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have any? No. Had he been married previously? Not that I could find. Okay. He could have been, but I didn't really find any information about that. And I did look up to see if he had any children beforehand, and I didn't find any information on that either. Hmm. Did any of her previous husbands die? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. And I don't know if they were planning to have children or not one day. I'm not sure that either. I don't know anything about this case. <laughs> I'll stop asking questions. <laughs> no, that's okay. Anyone who has been in a relationship while working and raising a family, plus taking care of extended family and being involved in extracurricular activities with your children, knows just how difficult it can be to carve out the precious one-on-one -on -one time needed to nurture the romance in your marriage or relationship. Oh, yeah. There are just not enough hours in the day. There really isn't. Stacy and Richard were no different. They would have to purposefully plan and organize their time to fit that in. And this is exactly what they did on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2010. However, romance would sadly be the opposite of what would happen that frightful night. Oh no. So it's a planned murder. It is. Stacy worked during the day at the Spine and Neurosurgery Clinic. After she was done work, Richard cooked a nice dinner at her grandparents' house for them, and Stacy made sure her grandparents were taken care of. Stacy and Richard had planned to meet up in a secluded park later that night to exchange Valentine's gifts and cards and let one thing lead to another, meaning they would possibly enjoy a little rendezvous or romantic tryst in the park that night. Was that a common thing for them? Didn't they have a bed at home? I think it was kind of to keep that spark alive. They had planned to kind of get away out of the house, away from the kids. We'll go park like we did when we were teenagers. So they were trying to reignite some of that kind of Twitter patter that they had when they first started dating. Yeah, and kind of acting a little bit like teenagers. 
you know, how you'd go make out at a park. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's because we do this podcast, but I'm not meeting anybody in a secluded dark park, even if it is my husband. That's true. <laughs> Especially when there's a perfectly nice bed that's private at home. <laughs> you just told a lot about yourself, Melissa. <laughs> not that I'm not about spontaneity, but... <laughs> They just thought this would be a fun little thing to do. Been, I've been working all day. We've been taking care of the grandparents. We cooked dinner and ate with the grandparents. So now let's go sneak off to a park and maybe make out, exchange our little gifts. Did their grandparents live with them in their house? No. Okay. But the grandparents needed around-the-clock care. So mm. Stacy would take turns with her other family members helping to take care of them. And then they also had nurses hired to help. Mm. The nurse who was scheduled to care for Stacy's grandparents hadn't shown up to the house yet. Richard still needed to stop to fill up his truck with gas, so Stacy told Richard to go ahead to the park and wait for her there. She would meet him there as soon as the nurse arrived, and then she could leave. He left the house around 8.15 p.m. I thought they had went together to the grandparents' house. No. But he was already there cooking supper when she came from work. Yeah. What a nice guy. Right. Really nice. The spot they agreed to meet at was a dark area at Belton Bridge Park in Lula, Georgia, a place they had discovered while motorcycling. Stacy was finally able to leave around an hour after Richard had, around 9.15 p.m. It took her roughly 15 minutes to drive to the park where her husband was waiting for her. When Stacy arrived, she easily found her husband's truck. It was still running, and the driver's side door was wide open, which cast a light from the interior of the truck out into the darkness. Neither one of them are the murderers? When Stacy pulled up to Richard's truck, she quickly saw her husband sprawled out, laying dead on the ground. Oh, no. She placed a 911 call at 9.32 p.m. I listened to the call, and she is extremely frantic. She is telling the 911 dispatcher that she needs help right now. Her husband has been shot and that he is dead. She explains that they were meeting to do Valentine's at the park and that she had just been with him at her grandparents' house. She said, quote, As soon as I pulled into the park, I saw his truck. As soon as I pulled in, I could see him laying on the ground. Near the end of the call, she is hysterically screaming that she can't lose him like this. She hired a hit on him, didn't she? Richard had been shot a total of five times with a 9mm handgun. Ooh. Two shots to his abdomen, one shot to his chest, and two shots right in the face. Somebody didn't know what they were doing if they were hired hitmen. An autopsy later revealed that one bullet passed through his right hand before entering his torso. Oh, so he saw them coming? I'm assuming so. He likely raised his hand to try and defend himself. The two shots to his face were fired from close range and penetrated his brain and spinal cord. If I picture this, I imagine Richard got out of his truck when he saw his attacker and was likely shot as the attacker walked towards him, and then the attacker finished killing him with the shots to the head once they got close to him. Because those were closer range shots. Yep. That would have been so scary. Mm-hmm. To just keep seeing this attacker come at you? Yes. So there is a possibility that he could have been alive those first three shots to the abdomen chest area. Mm-hmm. It seems really sloppy and overkill. Definitely. Both. Police arrived and quickly began processing the crime scene. They were almost immediately able to rule out robbery as a motive. There was $40 sitting on the truck console and Richard was still wearing his wedding ring and watch and had his wallet still on him. Plus, the idling truck itself was worth around $40,000 and wasn't taken. If this was a robbery gone bad, these items surely would not have been left behind. And who's going to know he's at this secret rendezvous meeting point other than his wife? Exactly. Next, police noticed the dirt around the crime scene. 
The dirt was very soft and muddy. It had soaked up most of Richard's blood, but because it was so soft, it was perfect for preserving tire impressions. In the soft dirt, they discovered three separate types of tire tracks. One belonged to the Ford Explorer that Stacy was driving, one belonged to Richard's truck, and then there was an unknown set. Police were able to determine that the vehicle that had made the additional set of prints had gotten to the location prior to Richard arriving and had left after he was presumably dead. This suggested that whoever the gunman was, they had been laying in wait for Richard. Very suspicious. He's a nice guy. He doesn't have any enemies. No. And he didn't tell anybody about his date with his wife because you wouldn't be blabbing about this location where you think you're going to get some nookie. There was somebody else that knew that they were going to be meeting. Oh, okay. And we'll get there. Lieutenant Dan Franklin was one of the first officers to arrive at the scene. He said, quote, This was one of the very few cases where the more I dug, the less sense it made. He said the shots that tore into Richard's body had been overkill and left a particularly gruesome crime scene. It seemed like the murderer had been too over the top to be random. Lieutenant Franklin said about Richard, quote, It appeared that he had simply just pulled up and got out of his truck to approach the person who shot him which is a compelling thing for us. Around the area where Richard's body was found, Lieutenant Franklin said, quote, It was a very secluded place. There was no pavement. There were no lights. So it's a very eerie place, especially at night. Richard's just a regular guy who's unarmed, and he gets there, and he's comfortable enough to get out of this truck and approach the person who ultimately shot him to death. So he knew him. That's what they're thinking at this point. Although if you see headlights approaching and you're expecting your wife to show up, You know how sometimes when headlights are directed right at you, you can't really see what's behind them. You just see the headlights. Maybe he just thought it was his wife showing up and got out of the truck to greet her. That's a good point. But the one thing that we can kind of derive from this is that he didn't feel threatened. If he was worried, he could have just put his truck in drive and pulled out of there. So he obviously didn't know what was coming when he got out of the truck. Right. The only smoking gun they had at this point was the ominous tire tracks. Police feared that finding whose car those tire tracks belonged to would not be an easy task. Tire tracks are pretty distinctive, though. They are. But then you have to find out who do they belong to. Mm -hmm. Anyone can go and buy a set of tires from the local tire shop. Before they start to search for the tires, police knew they needed to interview Richard's clearly devastated wife. They needed to know who would possibly want to murder her husband in such a violent way. While at the crime scene, Stacy blurts out to the cops that she had been having an affair. At the station, police record an interview with Stacy. During this interview, she explains more about her affair. And you can watch a lot of that interview online. I watched a documentary by Crime Watch that had clips of different interviews as well as an interview with Lieutenant Franklin, who I'm quoting a lot in this. Stacy told police that she had been having an affair with a man named Juan Reyes. So I guess one man wasn't enough and neither was five. She needed a sixth man? Yep. Oh, man. Too many men. It is too many men. (laughs) And we'll talk a little bit about why she is this way. Stacy had dated Juan before she met Richard, but they had broken up long before she was involved with her husband. So this was a lover from her past. And they had just rekindled? Exactly. Okay. Making a long story shorter, years later, Stacy and Juan met back up when Juan was down on his luck. He was divorced from his wife, he had a few kids to support, and he needed a job. Stacy decided to hire Juan to work as a surgical assistant at the clinic that she ran, despite him not having any previous medical training. Oh, you'd think for such a type A meticulous person, you'd want your employees to have some credentials. 
Well, she obviously felt a certain way about Juan. They had been involved before and he was down on his luck. Yep. Come, I'll give you a job. She'll figure out something for him. Right. But a surgical assistant doesn't seem like the right kind of job. He had previously worked as a security guard at a swanky hotel. Oh, that's quite the difference in jobs. Yeah. So he did not have the training that he needed for that job. But as a security guard, he would have known how to handle a gun. True. Stacy admitted that Richard wasn't thrilled at the idea of his wife working with her ex, but she said nothing was going on with them at first. And eventually this would change, and Stacy would begin sleeping with and having a full-on relationship with Juan. During the interrogation, Stacy said, quote, I am in, you know, I am in deep with Juan. When police asked if she thought Juan was responsible for killing her husband, Stacy said she didn't want to think that he was responsible, but that she didn't know. She also told police that Juan was fully aware that she was meeting her husband at the park for Valentine's that night. She had let him know, I can't spend the night with you. I'm meeting Richard at the park. My suspicious nature says she's just laying him out there for them. Well, either way, Juan Reyes quickly became number one on the suspect list. Police couldn't ignore that he could be a jealous boyfriend who wanted to eliminate his girlfriend's husband so he could have her all to himself. That story's been done a million times before, so it seems believable. Totally. How many times has that happened? Yeah. Police went to Juan's residence that same night, but no one answered. I believe it was around like four o'clock in the morning when they went. The next morning, they greeted him at his place of work. An immediate red flag was that Juan had changed his appearance. He had shaven his full beard into a goatee. Many criminals changed their appearance to try and hide from police or look different than what might have been caught on any surveillance cameras. Oh, no. So as soon as they see him, they're like, this is not what he looks like. He had just shaved his beard. Spidey senses up. Mm-hmm. Police brought Juan into the police station for questioning. He agreed to speak with authorities without a lawyer present and denied having anything to do with Richard's murder. And I kind of thought innocent or guilty not asking for a lawyer in a murder investigation is a bold move. That could go so bad. It really could. But did he do it purposely to show like, hey, I'm innocent. I don't even need a lawyer. Or did he just not understand the ramifications of not having a lawyer? I'm not sure. I can't speak for Juan Hmm. as to why he chose that. Through speaking with Juan, police learned that Stacy was a sugar mama of sorts for him. Stacy was paying for his truck and his cell phone and even paid for an apartment for the two of them to hook up in like a little love nest. On top of this, she paid for vacations and purchased items for his children. Hmm. Juan agreed to a polygraph test, but the results were inconclusive. And they're not reliable in the first place. They're not really. But he was willing to take it. They were like, will you take a polygraph? He's like, whatever you need. So he seems up in the up and up, like he's telling the truth. Right. Juan admitted to having an affair with Stacy, but openly stated that she was just a means to an end. He was basically just using her. What do Juan's truck tires look like? They're not a match. Hmm. And his tire truck's not matching doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't driving a different car that night. Juan was divorced, but was actively trying to get back together with his ex-wife. When asked where he was on Valentine's Day, he said he was with his ex-wife and kids the entire night. Police knew they would have to speak with Juan's ex to corroborate his alibi. Was he just a dirtbag cheater? Or was he a cold-blooded killer who didn't want another man to get in the way of his meal ticket? Juan's ex-wife told the police the same thing that he did. Juan's ex admitted that her and Juan were trying to reconcile, and so she was staying with him at the time. Was she aware of Stacy and his arrangement? No, she wasn't. 
She told police that she had met Stacy on many occasions. He had even brought her to things like holiday dinners. She also told police that Stacy was good to her children with Juan, often buying them things or taking them places. The one thing that Juan's ex didn't know was that he was currently in a sexual relationship with Stacy. So she found out that they were actually sleeping together when all of this is happening now. Mm, after the fact. Right. So I think she knew that they had been together before. That they were still friends. Stacy had given him a job. She was super nice to him, gave him a truck. And she didn't have any inkling that they were having sex? I don't know if she knew that she was paying the bills. Okay. My guess is probably not. But she did come around for family dinners, bought things for the kids, was hanging around. Which is more than just a regular friend would do. Exactly. Despite finding out this disturbing bit of information, Juan's ex did confirm his alibi. She told police that Juan had gone to the video store with one of their kids and then spent the rest of the night at home with his family. And they had gone to bed quite early. Hmm. And I thought with her just finding all of this out, she could have just easily thrown him under the bus. Oh, absolutely. Even just your initial emotional reaction would be to get him. Right. But she didn't. How smart is Stacy? Is she like uh, three or four moves ahead of people smart? Well, she's the head administrator for a neurosurgery clinic. Like, she's pretty smart. Hmm. That being said, police eliminated Juan as a suspect. Interestingly, I read that they did not search his vehicle. But when they searched Stacy's Explorer, they did find a Valentine's card made out by her addressed to her lover, Juan. In her truck as she's going to meet her husband. Yeah, there was a card as well for Juan. (laughs) (laughs) So at this point, at least we know she's a dirtbag cheater. Yeah. And police felt confident enough that Juan was not the murder suspect. So they didn't really look into him anymore after that. Okay. Is that going to be the twist? (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you don't have this completely figured out yet. Because I didn't yet either. Police, though, were back to square one. They continued to try and find a match to the tire treads found at the crime scene. While searching tires at tire shops, police were able to determine that the tire marks were made by Goodyear Integrity Tires. It would be impossible to know who they belonged to without more information, but at least they knew what type of tires to be looking for. And I know we do have databases for shoe and tire treads, but I'm not sure if it doesn't include all treads or if that technology wasn't fully available at that time. But for whatever reason, the cops were searching tires manually. Mm. Thankfully, the true crime angels must have been smiling down on this case because authorities received an unexpected break in the case. Lieutenant Franklin said, quote, An IT technician at the spine clinic where Stacy worked called us. He said, When I went through Stacy's computer, I went to go ahead and empty her spam out of her inbox, but her inbox was completely empty for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the day of the murder. He said that's very unusual, and he said, But I have backups of all of those if you guys would like to have them. And we said, Absolutely. Yeah, no kidding. And I thought, good on this guy for going to the police. Cleaning out junk mail from employees and emails accounts was part of his standard practice, and he knew that when he discovered Stacy's had been cleaned out already, something was up, because that never happened. I'm wondering if he was already a little suspicious of her character. Well, I think he would have heard the news that her husband had been murdered, Mm -hmm. right? That would have went around the office. Yeah. I don't think he was suspicious beforehand. He was just doing his regular maintenance of once a week, however often he does it, we clean out all the spam. Mm. And hers was completely cleaned out. Good on him for actually even recognizing it. Right? And had he not gone to the police, this case might have turned out so differently. Because this was the big break that they needed. Hmm. 
Yay, IT. Yeah, whoever that guy is, they didn't even have a name for him, but good on ya. Good job. A warrant was issued for all of Stacy's emails, including the ones that the IT tech had backed up. This amounted to over 4,000 emails for police to comb through. I said it earlier, but I felt like police did a stellar job on this case. Often when we cover a case, especially when it comes to serial killers, police can get a bad rap for not catching a killer sooner, and because they are human, they do make mistakes, so it's nice to give them a deserved thumbs up in this case. This is a super nice way to follow up last week's case. Yes. That's why I thought I'd put that in there. We needed to give them a good shout out this time. But it's just the nature of our podcast that often when we're talking about serial killers, it's because they slip through the cracks. Mm -hmm. Only two emails out of the 4,000 perked detectives' interest. Both contained requests to transfer money from a SunTrust account to a woman named Lenitra Ross. The account that the money was coming from was a real estate account for the doctor's office. Remember, Stacy was the head administrator for the clinic. The first request for it was $8,902 and was issued just a few weeks before the murder took place. The second request was on the Friday before the murder, again to Lenitra Ross's personal account, but for $1,100. Valentine's was on Sunday that year, so this request was just two days prior to Richard's death. Hmm... With a little more digging, police learned that Lenitra worked at the same clinic with Stacy. She was employed as a medical assistant, but that wasn't all. Lenitra was also renting a home from Stacy, so she was one of her tenants. Police paid a visit to Lenitra and questioned her regarding why her co-worker-slash-landlord had recently transferred her $10,000. That's a little bit more than bonus money. Yeah, and if it's not, then I want that kind of work bonus. Yeah. Mind you, some people do get that for work bonuses. So true. (laughs) Lenitra explained that there were repairs that needed to be completed on the house, and that is what the money was for. Lenitra was doing the repairs, and Stacy was paying for half of the costs. Apparently, one of the major items was a main water line and valve leak that needed repairing. This seemed to explain the movement of money. But something else happened to keep the police interested in this lead. Really? Does it explain the money? Could they find the plumbing bill that was $20,000? She said she had receipts. Oh. She's like, no, it was repairs and I have some receipts that I can provide you with. Okay. However, when police went to Lenitra Ross's home, they noticed a Chevy Impala parked outside. With Goodyear tires? Yep. But the reason that this perked their interest was because police had earlier been speaking with Stacy's cousin, Connie Hearn. Connie had expressed concern about a 2009 Chevy Impala that belonged to hers and Stacy's ailing grandparents. Stacy had taken the car and was supposed to sell it to help pay for their grandparents' medical expenses. The car would allegedly sit on Stacy's driveway and then go missing for weeks at a time before showing up again. According to Connie, Stacy eventually sold the car for $14,000, but the grandparents hadn't received any of that money from the sale. Connie felt like this was a little weird. Yeah, she's just doing everybody dirty. Yeah. So any guesses who the Chevy Impala parked outside of Lenitra's house belonged to? Yeah, Stacy's grandparents. Yep, Stacy's grandparents. And like you already guessed, the tires on said vehicle were Goodyear Integrity tires, just like the ones determined to be at the crime scene. Hmm. So they were like, she's given us a good reason to have this money. But here's her grandparents' car parked outside her house, and it has the same tires. We can't ignore this. Mm -hmm. Although the tires were a match, it didn't necessarily prove that that particular car was the one at the scene, or if it was, who the person who drove it that night was. 
But they can do a soil analysis. They can. Police knew they needed to dig a little deeper before jumping to conclusions. Right now it's circumstantial evidence, but definitely strong enough evidence for them to look deeper into. Lieutenant Franklin decided to act on a hunch that he had to investigate cell phone records from that night. Speaking about their unknown suspect laying in wait for Richard to arrive that night, he said, quote, My thought process is, is he going to sit there and twiddle his thumbs? Or what's he going to do? Or he's going to make a phone call. Lots of people text constantly. Mm-hmm. So he's thinking whoever the gun person is that's waiting for Richard is probably going to be passing the time on his cell phone. That's pretty smart. Yeah. The lieutenant was able to obtain a subpoena for phone records made around the time of the murder from a tower dump. He explained, quote, When you make a phone call, your number, the number you dialed, the date and the time, and the duration of the call are all captured at the tower. And that information is saved at the tower. The tower closest to the crime scene serviced four major phone carriers, which meant that there were literally thousands of pages of records to inspect. This seemed like an impossible task, especially when they didn't really know what they were looking for. But they could narrow it down to the time of the murder. They did, and that was still thousands and thousands of pages of numbers. Because there was four main phone carriers that used that tower. So they could narrow it down to the time, but there were still thousands of pages of numbers. And I don't know how many numbers would fit on a page, but a lot. Yeah. Lieutenant Franklin came up with the idea to look for numbers in Stacy's contact list and cross-reference them with numbers pulled from that tower dump and see if any of them matched. He said, quote, I had to find a way. I had to teach myself how to do this. About an hour into that search, I found a number that was in Stacy's phone that had made a call from Belton Bridge Park or the tower that services Belton Bridge Park on the night of the murder at about 8.40 p.m. He explained that it was quite compelling that a call was made around an hour before the murder from someone in Stacy's contact list. This didn't mean that the call was to her. It just suggested that she might have known this person making a phone call close to where her husband was brutally murdered that night. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's totally ingenious. Yeah. This Lieutenant Franklin, he is a rock star, honestly. In Stacy's phone, the person that this newly discovered phone number belonged to was a man listed as Reggie. So who the heck is Reggie? (laughs) That's what I thought when I heard this. I'm like, what? Who's Reggie? When I first read this, I was totally expecting the number to have belonged to Lenitra. Is that her boyfriend, though? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Reggie was a man named Reginald Coleman, who was more commonly known as Mr. Results. Oh. He used to be a semi-professional boxer who was now working as a personal trainer. Part of his work included conducting boot camp style classes for larger groups. Any guesses where one of the places that he held these boot camp classes were? At the park? No, at the building where Stacy and Lenitra worked. And had Richard ever taken one of these classes? I'm not sure, but this now ties him to their place of work of where Stacy and Lenitra work. Yep. Lieutenant Franklin made a comment about how he should have recognized the number that Reggie called because he had seen it before. The person he had called that night an hour before Richard was killed was none other than Lenitra herself. Okay. Are they cross-referencing Stacy's contacts? Stacy's. Okay. They looked at Stacy's contacts. Yeah. And in her contacts was a man named Reggie. Reggie had made a call from Belton Bridge Park. To Lenitra. To Lenitra. Okay. So it wasn't Lenitra's number that had shown up. It was for Reggie's. Them. It was Reggie's because he was in her contacts. contacts. When they looked at the number that Reggie called... 
it belonged to Lenitra. Okay. I know it can get confusing because there's so many people. Mm -hmm. And we keep introducing a new person into this case. And that's where Lieutenant Franklin at the beginning said, the more I dug in, the more confusing it kind of got. I can totally understand Lieutenant Franklin's comment about this getting more confusing as you the further you dig. Right. But hopefully that explains it a little bit better then. This piece of information helped police come full circle in the investigation. Lieutenant Franklin said, quote, At that point, things started coming together because we were already looking at a murder for hire. And this really kind of solidified that this was the third part of the triangle because we had suspected Stacy was the linchpin. Lenitra Ross had received money in the weeks leading up, and now this was our third person that we felt was involved. Yeah, the actual shooter. Mm -hmm. All they needed to do now was put the pieces together, and piece it together they did. Police concluded that Reggie called Lenitra at 8.40 p.m. to tell her the job was done, that he had shot and killed Richard Sheck. Three minutes after her call with Reggie ended, Lenitra sent Stacy a text that said, quote, Forgot to tell you, I'm coming in late tomorrow. By the way, happy Valentine's Day. That must have been their secret code. It was. The phrase happy Valentine's Day was the signal or code to Stacy that Richard was dead, and she could now leave her grandparents' house to go and find him. So it was kind of their way of trying to not make it so direct. Because mm -hmm. if Reggie had called Stacy himself, that would have made it more suspicious, right? Because they would have probably checked Stacy's phone records. Yeah. This way, it was Reggie making call to a third party. That third party texts her, and it seems totally innocent. It's about work and happy right. Valentine's Day. So it was kind of smart of them how they had tried to set that up. Just not smart enough. Yeah. My mind is just boggled because I'm thinking... How do you even start this conversation with somebody you work with? By the way, I'd like my husband to be killed. Do you know anybody? Oh, we're going to talk about that conversation. Okay. Don't worry. I got you. <laughs> but I felt at this point, how heartless do you have to be to have enough nerve to drive to the spot where you know your husband has been shot to quote unquote discover him? What went through her mind in that almost 15 minute drive? Yeah, that is bizarre. Even getting that text, happy Valentine's Day, like, would your stomach not have dropped like my husband's dead? Well, she was in love with Juan. So what thought did she have to Richard anymore? I know. I'm still trying to figure out how Richard knew Reggie because he got out of the vehicle and he didn't feel threatened by him. Right. But he did come and do boot camp classes. He may have met him at the office. Gotcha. On the topic of telephone calls, Reggie's records showed that he called Lenitra Ross back 17 minutes later from a different area after the shooting. I'm assuming to tell her that he had left the crime scene. Yeah, and to make arrangements to drop the car off again. Probably. And Stacy's records showed that before heading out to Belton Bridge Park to discover her husband, she called Richard's cell phone. When he didn't answer, she knew he was dead, and it was assumed safe to go and find him. So she went and called Richard just to make sure he wouldn't answer before she left. Oh, And if she didn't already know that ahead of time... Wouldn't have that have made you a little bit panicked to be like, why isn't he answering? Because he's supposedly waiting there for her. She's an hour late. Yeah, but she wasn't calling to tell him, oh, I'm on my way. No. But it could look that way, right? She mm -hmm. could have explained it away that way. Yeah. So I'm thinking, is she super smart? She's always thinking like four steps ahead of them. It seems like it. Yeah. Smart dirtbag. And I feel like if it wasn't for that IT guy, she might have gotten away with this because they would not have connected her to Lenitra or Reggie. Hmm. Police were also able to determine that out of the 19,000 calls that Reggie had made between January 1st and March 15th of that year, 
No other calls were made from that particular cell tower, indicating that it was not a spot that he frequented, and he couldn't really explain away why his phone was recorded at that location. He was clearly there for a specific purpose, which doesn't look good for him, because if it was a place where he always made calls from, then he could explain it better. Yeah. So even that, I thought, was good police work, too. It's just tying up loose ends. Exactly. Three arrest warrants were issued, one for Stacey Sheck, one for Lenitra Ross, and a third one for Reginald Coleman. The next challenge for police was to coordinate their arrests so that one of them would not be able to alert the other two that arrests were coming. Police didn't want any of them to be tipped off and then flee. This took the coordination of many officers, and the operation was named Operation Tangled Web. Oh, and it was a tangled web. It really was. And they needed to get that Black Widow. Police were able to successfully pick up Reggie, followed closely by arresting Lenitra at a traffic stop. They saved the dirtbag orchestrator for last. I almost wish they would have just let her know, hey, we arrested this person, arrested this person, but like not giving her enough time to get away. Just enough time to be like, oh, crap. Well, something does that instills that panic in her. Oh, does it? Oh, good. It does. That dirtbag deserves that. (laughs) It does. It's really funny that you would say that. (laughs) You haven't heard this case before, have you? No. You couldn't tell by all my guessing of wrong ways. <laughs> but you've been right on on a lot of things. I'm pretty impressed. Stacy was working when all of this was happening. When police pulled up to the office, someone in the building exclaimed that police had just pulled up. And I hope that they had no idea that they were there to arrest Stacy and didn't know that they were tipping off a murderer. Regardless, Stacy panicked and she ran into a room that you could only enter with card access. Oh. Police were unable to enter the room when they got inside. Reports indicated that Stacy eventually surrendered. But I wonder how long she stayed locked in that room. <laughs> Just fretting, like, oh, they've caught me. Yeah, probably her mind was going a million miles a minute trying to figure out how am I going to get out of this. Oh, What a sneaky little snake. Yeah. Like she just ran off like a little toddler and hid, but eventually realized I'm not getting out of this. Those poor kids. Yeah. The trio were arrested on May 25th, 2010, just over three months after their heinous crime. During the investigation, police concluded that Reggie and Lenitra became involved in the evil scheme for money. Reggie was paid the $10,000 that Stacy had transferred to Lenitra. Lenitra was paid a different way. She was promised the house that she was currently renting from Stacy. And as a little bonus for Reggie, Stacy gave him the car that belonged to her grandparents, the one that was sitting outside of Lenitra's house, and the one that Reggie used the night he shot Richard to death. That's why Richard would have gotten out of his vehicle, because he's seeing her grandparents' car pull up. He would have totally recognized it. Exactly. See, we've come full circle now. So he could have thought that Stacy just drove her grandparents' car. Yeah. Stacy's motive was not as clear at first. After she knew her goose was cooked, Stacy told authorities that the reason she wanted her fifth husband dead was because she had found out that Richard was molesting her sons. What? This was especially triggering for Stacy because she had been molested as a child. Oh, no. I thought he was a good guy. Was he actually doing that or was this another story she was telling? Well, let me explain. Oh, gross. Stacy told Lenitra that one of her sons had come to her and told her that Richard was molesting him. During their conversation, Stacy told Lenitra that she didn't want to involve the police and she didn't want to get divorced. Instead, she wanted her husband dead. So this is that conversation that you're talking about. How do you just start talking to people that you want your husband dead? She confided in Lenitra at work. And Lenitra, being a kind friend, is like, I know a guy. Right? I actually have that in my notes. (laughs) 
A good friend would likely offer sound advice at this moment and urge their friend to go through the proper channels to ensure their safety and seek justice for what was happening. Mm-hmm. Well, Anitra did the opposite of that. She responded to Stacy by telling her that she knew someone who could do the job. If Stacy wanted Richard dead for touching her boys, she could help. That person was, of course, Reggie. Reggie was Lenitra's on and off again boyfriend and baby daddy. Lenitra assured Stacy that this wasn't Reggie's first rodeo. He was Mr. Results. Right. He did hired hits on the side to supplement his income. From this conversation, the trio met up in person, and a sinister plan to murder Richard developed between the three of them. They even went to the park to scope out the area. And Reggie was like, yeah, this is perfect. I might use this area in the future, too. So he was this practiced hired hit, and that's why he didn't just do it with one shot. He made it look like it was an amateur. Yeah. And overkill. Yeah. It later came out in court through testimony of Stacy's own child, whom she claimed was being sexually assaulted by Richard, that this claim was false. Oh, good. I was right about Richard. Yes, we're clearing his name. All that this son had said to her was basically that Richard was more restrictive than she was. She just made up this whole story to get with Juan, who didn't even want her in the first place. Well, I think she said this to manipulate Lenitra and Reggie into helping her kill her husband. Stacy would claim that her son did say those things and then later apologize to her for lying. And that smells like a little bit of hogwash, if you ask me, and speaks to her level of dirtbaggery to try and blame her son for her actions. Yeah. Because he testified and he's like, no, I didn't say that. I just said he didn't let us do the same things that mom does. What a dirtbag. Yeah. Trying to use her son as an excuse and to justify your heinous actions. Shame on you. I wonder how that relationship is now between mother and son. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because it sounds like those boys had developed a close relationship with Richard. He was the one taking care of them. Well, they loved Richard. Yeah. And viewed him as a father figure. And so she took out the person that loved them and that cared for them. Mm -hmm. And then she's throwing her kids under the bus and blaming them. Yeah, he cooked for them. He was involved in their activities. He was a good dad. Ugh, what a dirtbag. Absolutely. To understand more about Stacy's real motives, we start with her childhood. One source I found stated that Stacy's father had passed away when she was a child. Between this and being sexually assaulted as a child, Stacy developed a significant attachment disorder. Some believe this attachment disorder was one of the reasons she had been married and divorced so many times. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Trust issues. Right. And almost a little bit of self-sabotage. She has this great husband and has to have an affair to ruin it. Stacy also admitted later that part of her reasoning for having her husband killed instead of divorcing him was because he had adopted two of her children. Richard was the primary caregiver, and she was worried that if she divorced him, he might be awarded custody of their boys. She had been through four divorces and didn't want to go through a fifth. About Stacy, District Attorney Lee Dara stated, quote, Stacy Sheck was controlling and manipulative. She used people to the extent that she needed them, and beyond that, they just didn't matter. And I feel like this statement goes along with the idea of her having a significant attachment disorder. Oh, absolutely. Those two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Police would also come to learn that Stacy had sweetened the deal of her husband's death by taking out life insurance policies on his life, totaling $560,000. 
So did they find that out after the fact, or is that one of the reasons why they were totally looking at her for a hit? I think they found it out kind of after, maybe around the same time. I'm not sure. Mm. It wasn't the first thing they found out. So she was smart enough not to go knocking on the insurance company's door looking for a payout right away. Yeah, one of the only ones not to do that, Yeah, it seems. One of those policies was taken out in November of the previous year and had just become eligible to claim on February 1st, just two weeks before the murder. So there was definitely some calculated timing there. Police found more evidence, things like finding matching 9mm bullets inside a pill bottle that came from the office where they all worked, but it turned out that all this evidence wouldn't be needed to convict Stacy. She confesses. She does. With so much evidence stacked against them, Stacy and Reggie both decided to plead guilty to the murder charges against them. Stacy had complained during her confession that Reggie botched up the plan. He was supposed to make it look like a robbery and was supposed to only shoot him once so he wouldn't suffer. And it's almost mind-boggling to watch her talking about this. She's like, he was supposed to only shoot him once in the head. I didn't want him to suffer. Yeah, that's a control freak coming through. Mm-hmm. He didn't do it the way I wanted him to do it. Right, and she's very meticulous in nature. Yep. Lenitra decided to plead not guilty, and her involvement in the murder went to trial. Stacy agreed to testify against her friend in exchange for getting the death penalty removed from her possible sentence. Mm. Stacy pled guilty on December 3rd to murder malice with forethought. District Attorney Lee Dara said that Stacy was, quote, the engine that put this train in motion. Reggie had pled guilty to malice murder the month prior in November. I'm curious, did they ever convict him of any of the other hits that he had done? Because you said that he was a practice hitman. Right. No, I'm not sure, actually. It didn't even dawn on me to look into what his other ones were. Whenever I read news articles about him, though, I did not find anything that talked about other victims. Right. And so if you think you were searching for him, those other ones would have came up? Like, had he confessed about them? Right. Interesting. Yeah, because they didn't. Hmm. Police, are you looking into that? Maybe you need to check on his, uh, <laughs> on his past. Are you listening to his conversations in jail? Right. <laughs> Despite denying her involvement and claiming she didn't know that Richard was going to be murdered, Lenitra was also found guilty of malice murder. Yeah, no kidding. She tried to get a house out of it? Yeah, and she sent the text to say, yeah, it's done. She totally knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. When Stacy was being sentenced, she pled for mercy. She said, quote, I said, I'm going to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner, and that's what I did, and that's disgustingly awful. Someone told me the definition of mercy is getting what you don't deserve. And this always like burns my butt, honestly. <laughs> you did not show mercy to your husband and now you're asking for it. Yeah. Carol, Richard's sister, said about Stacy, quote, It was such heinous murder done to someone that did not deserve it at all. She was such a cowardly woman that couldn't keep herself in control and had never had anyone that stood up to her. When you get too much power and control, you just believe you can do anything. Oh, and that is true. We see that time and time again. We really do. On so many different levels. Uh-huh. All three dirtbags were sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. The only way they will leave prison, according to the district attorney for this case, will be inside a box. Oh. Insert mic drop. <laughs> but that's what he said during his interview, the district attorney I was talking about. Yeah. It's like, the only way she's coming out of there is in a box. Boom. I was like, whoa. <laughs> You go, guy. <laughs> so I had to put that in yeah. there. <laughs> that is very fitting. Yes. A heartbreaking consequence of this is that four boys lost their parents through this ordeal. Reggie and Lenitra's son, I believe, was only five at the time of the murder. 
And now both his parents are incarcerated for life. Hopefully he's with better people, though. Hopefully. The same thing goes with Stacy and Richard's sons. I couldn't find any information about how they are doing now, and to be honest, I didn't look too hard. As in other cases, I feel they deserve anonymity. They didn't ask to be involved in this case, and are victims as well. The only thing I did find was that Stacy's youngest son was raised by his biological father, and he had expressed as a child how much he missed both his mom and daddy Richard, which is so devastatingly sad. Yeah, to lose both parents would have been so difficult. Mm-hmm. That's why I said, poor kids. Yeah. And I'm not sure where the other two boys went after that. But it seemed like they had loving family to help and support them. Oh, that's good. Stacy's family say that she has kept busy behind bars and that she has found God. She was said to be studying to become an ordained minister. Could you imagine if that was your minister's background? Yeah. And I don't know. Can you? Can that happen? Like, can you become a minister when you are a convicted murderer? Is there rules about that? I don't know. I don't know either, but it does seem a little odd. But then if you truly believe in like forgiveness, then maybe, but yeah, that seems so weird. Yeah, I was like, oh, wow, that was a jump. Yep. From a linchpin in a hired hit to an ordained minister. Stranger things have happened. But she's not getting out of jail. So she wouldn't be a practicing <laughs> minister anyways, right? What would be the point then? Unless she just wants to give sermons in jail. Maybe. She's used to being in charge of things, right? Maybe that's her way of being the head administrator for the religious part of the jail. That's right. (laughs) I don't know. That is a bizarre jump. It is, but I thought it was worth mentioning. There is one more thing that I want to mention about Stacy, mainly because I stumbled across it and cannot get it out of my brain. So if I have to know it, so do you. (laughs) Man, what did you find? I was able to view her Facebook page. Prior to the murder or no, they can't have a Facebook page when they're in jail. Both. It's the same Facebook page from before the murder and after. So I guess you can have. uh... Because it goes state to state. Canada, you can't. Okay. But it appears to be her Facebook page. Wow. After Richard was murdered and before Stacy got arrested, Stacy was, of course, able to play the grieving widow during his funeral. Oh, I'm sure she hammed that right up. Richard was cremated, and to honor him, his ashes, along with the ashes of, I believe, maybe his father, were scattered from the most colorful hot air balloons, which was really so touching knowing how much Richard loved them. The part that made me feel a certain way was that Stacy posted a professionally done video set to music of this tribute to her late husband. She posted about how it was a bittersweet day. She thanks everyone who made it possible and says Richard would have loved it. And all I gotta say is that it was you, Stacy, who made it possible by orchestrating a hired hit on your husband. Yeah, true. It rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know. I cannot imagine how betrayed all their family and friends must have felt when the truth finally came out. Yeah, that would be so devastating for his family to learn. Yeah. Thank you for all who made this possible. It's like, you made it possible, Stacy, because he shouldn't even be dead. You should not be spreading his ashes. She's thanking herself. (laughs) Yeah, right? Oh, I don't know. The other post that made my jaw drop was a quote unquote funny meme that she posted. And this is after. I think it was 2016 that she posted this. It was a picture of a pill bottle. And on it, it read, crazy pills, extra strength. Take one every two hours to prevent choking really stupid people. Take two to stay out of jail. Warning, if you see me without this bottle, dot, dot, dot. Oh, that is in poor taste. Yeah, read the room. 
holy cow. I was like, um, after this, I decided I don't really want to see personal Facebook pages of murderers anymore. No, that is not funny. No. And it just made it like way too personal for me to see her personal Facebook page. Yeah. I didn't actually enjoy it. (laughs) I found it through my research. It was listed as a reference from their research. Mm. Because if you just go in and you type her name, it doesn't come up. So I'm not sure where they found this. That's crazy. Yeah. I can't remember which place it was that I found it, but... You were source checking. Yeah. And I was like, oh my goodness, here it is. I do want to end on some things about Richard and with some statements by his loved ones. But before I do that, I want to quickly fill you in on a little rabbit hole that I went down with this case. The park where Richard was murdered has seen multiple murders, including Richard. Five people have been murdered there over the years. Well, it sounds like it's the perfect place. It's secluded. You can drive right in. You can drive right out. Yes. And so I'm just going to go over the other ones that were murdered there really quickly. In 1979, a 44-year-old man named Edmund Hoyt, or Beetle, was found dead with a gunshot in the back of his truck, which had been submerged five feet under the water of the Chattahoochee River that runs through the park. In 1981, a man named Mark Desnoyers picked up three hitchhikers in South Carolina. The hitchhikers killed him and dumped his body in the river at the Belton Bridge Park. In 2004, a 20-year-old man, James Carlton Smith, who was a former East Hall high school football player, was stabbed to death during a large gathering or party at the park. And then Richard was the fifth victim to lose his life there in 2010. I wonder if Stacy knew that history. Maybe. And she's like, look, people have gotten away with it here. I wouldn't put it past her, to be honest. Where is a good spot to do a hired hit? The park was closed for a while after Richard's death, but has since reopened. Some improvements have been made to the park. The Hall County Sheriff stated that lack of the paving and lighting had made the park a haven for criminal activity. I know the hours that the park is opened has changed from sunup to sundown, but I wasn't able to find what other specific changes, if any, were made. Doesn't that make you want to go to that park now? If they have to change their hours because there's been so many murders, I'm like, no, not on my list to visit. No, I thought you were being serious. I was like, no, (laughs) Melissa, I don't don't really want to go there. No, I was being sarcastic. Oh, it looks like a beautiful park. I did look up pictures of the park and the river does go like right through there. And it's a beautiful area, but Mm -hmm. not for me. (laughs) Not this small town Canadian girl. I'll stay here. Thanks. (laughs) Lots of other beautiful parks in the U.S. that we would love to go visit. Yep. Okay, now let's end on Richard. Like I said, after his funeral, he was celebrated with a balloon launch, which was such a special send off for him. In addition to this, to honor his personality and his love of art and colors, family requested those who attended to wear their favorite color instead of the traditional black attire usually worn to funerals. They also asked for donations to be made to the Boy Scouts of America in lieu of flowers, which I thought was just so fitting for Richard. It's very personal. Mm -hmm. About Richard, his sister Carol said that he was always a big kid. His niece described him as the cool uncle and said he did fun things with them like roller skate, throw around a ball, and color. Stacy's cousin Connie said that Richard was the best of all her husbands. She said Richard was a great father and brought a lot to the table when it came to their marriage. One of Richard's co-workers stated, quote, We have all felt emptiness in our lives not having Richard around. His family has since stated that they will never allow him to be forgotten. And that is the story of a dirtbag woman so selfish that she decided to hire a hit on her own husband, to avoid having to go through the trouble of a fifth divorce. The calculated and cunning worm, Stacey Sheck. That was a crazy case. 
Yeah, it had me guessing when I first listened to it. Yeah, there were several twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Good job, Christy. Bad job, Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I hope that all of our listeners will have a better Valentine's Day and be kind to those that you love. And hopefully you find a safer place for those little Valentine's trysts or little rendezvous that you might experience. Yeah, no dark parks. No. <laughs> but I don't know if you want a well-lit park either. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Just find a safe place and go maybe together. <laughs> don't meet there. <laughs> that's right. And that's how we'll end today's case. <laughs> but we'll be back next week and we hope you'll join us then. See ya. Bye. seven sensor <laughs> Melissa don't say that Melissa don't say that oh the lord is testing me <laughs> oh we are totally on a tangent now <laughs> that's what a best friend is for to torment your husband even when you're not <laughs> my cheeks are sore already <laughs> I haven't been smiling enough lately <laughs> my face is like what's this <laughs> Now we're 15 minutes in and we still haven't gotten back to the it's case. It's true. And we just, yeah, we're like one paragraph into all my notes. I'm <laughs> laughing so much. I'm like sweating over here. I'm like, none of that is like scripted. Yes. We're just crazy together. So I was like, I have to be a big girl and call them myself. Big girl panties, Christy. I put them on. What's happening to us today? I don't know. We need to record. We do. Okay. <laughs> it's 11.20. Oh, dear. <laughs> need to get down to business mm. now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Can't even stop laughing to drink today. And Richard was still wearing his wedding ring and an and a, an expensive. He was still wearing his wedding. Was she a grave digger? No, because she works all the time. A grave digger? Do you mean a gold digger? <laughs> so, okay, repeat. <laughs> Stop laughing so I can say it. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.